This show contains language that is unsuitable for children. Grant us love filled with good intention. May we find peace in the midst of ascension. We know what they make us, though they try to break us and say we love us, we love us. Welcome to Straight Vibes, No Chasers. Raw talk on coming out of the closet about our fears and why we're so hell-bent on resisting our highest good. This podcast focuses on the African-American experience concerning fear and our long-standing romance with mediocrity. You can follow and comment on the show topics on Instagram at SVNC underscore podcast or go to PennyMurray.com where you can also find out more about Dr. Murray's work, her book, Giving Myself Permission, and the African-American Council on Fear. Now, here's your host, Dr. Penny Murray. Hey, and welcome to Straight Vibes No Chasers from Dallas, Texas. Daniel Gillison Jr., the CEO of the National Alliance of Mental Health, released a statement last year regarding the racist incidents occurring across this country and their impact on mental health. He said, the effects of racism and racial trauma on mental health is real and cannot be ignored. The disparity in access to mental health care in communities of color cannot be ignored. The inequality and lack of cultural competency in mental health treatment cannot be ignored. Our nation's African-American community is going through an extremely painful experience pain that has been inflicted upon this community repeatedly throughout history and is magnified through mass media and repeated deaths. Loved ones lost senselessly due to racism and the more than 100,000 lives lost to the coronavirus pandemic disproportionately for the minority communities. Just add gasoline to the fire of injustice. While there is much we need to do to address racism in our country, we must not forget the importance of mental health. Racism is a public health crisis. I'm your host, Dr. Penny Murray. It seems in America's society, the status quo in handling illnesses of any kind, physical or mental, is to focus on treatment and cures, not prevention. The reason for this focus is not rocket science. All you got to do is just follow the money. Prescription remedies, cures, and treatments are far more profitable than prevention. And then There's the secondary profit of treating the addiction created by prescription drug use. The African-American community continues to be disenfranchised in all aspects of American society, and the mental and physical health inequalities are no different. To be clear, mental health conditions occur in the African-American community at about the same rate or less than white Americans. The difference is our historical experience in America. The lack of access to proper and culturally responsive mental health care, prejudices and racism inherent in African Americans' daily lives as individuals, and the historical trauma carried out on African Americans by the medical field increases the black community's psychological difficulties. Now, top all that off with the domino effect of COVID-19. 
the uncertainties, isolation, grief from financial and human losses, and African Americans being murdered by police as if we are in the twilight zone of the Jim Crow era. The historical dehumanization, oppression, and violence against African Americans never stopped. It just evolved. Yet, the African American community continues to hold on to the hope of trickle-down equality from white America. Processing and dealing with layers upon layers of historical racial despair, along with our own modern-day individual daily life stresses, is potentially overwhelming for the best of us. What makes all of this a more damnable travesty is the loss of our ethnic identity and culture. As the African-American community sees an increased uh, rate in mental health issues such as anxiety and depression and the use of illicit drugs, I wonder if the only true culturally responsive mental care is the practice of a psychological rite of passage. Like our ancestors, journeying through a psychological rite of passage encouraged them to identify with their heritage. Through this ritual, they could tap into their culturally rich and gifted ancestral lineage to then gain strength, perseverance, discipline, purpose, and a value system that was culturally conducive or beneficial to them. Humanity is evolving. The universe is shifting. What's happening in our society is the awareness of a transition of power beyond the political realm. There is an evolution of humanity taking place that cannot be overthrown. So white imperialism is actually taking Dylan Thomas's words literally. Do not go gently into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at its close of day. So we must rage, rage against the dying light. And that is exactly what they are doing because they see that there is a transition in privilege and power. Uh, they are raging <laughs> in fear. So that's why you have the the insurrection or the charging of the capital uh, to, to keep in place that white power or trying to suppress the votes in states that I would have never considered them trying to do it. They realize that there is a shift that is happening and it's out of their control. So what do we do when we think we're losing something? We fight like hell, and that's exactly what they keep trying to, you know, that's their model now. But African Americans have waited for equality to trickle down from white America for years. But just like trickle-down economics never flowed downward, uh, neither has equality. So we wait, and yet we still find ourselves eating crumbs from the table of white privilege. But here's the thing, Fuller said, you can never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And I have said this before and I will say it uh, until I'm blue in the face. 
I firmly believe there is a window of opportunity for African-Americans to take the lead in the next chapter of humanity's evolution and more specifically the evolution of the African-Americans quality of life. But before we can effectively build our new model of existence, we have to do the work to free our minds from an indoctrination intended to keep us psychologically subservient. And while mainstream America can conveniently ignore the lingering effects of uh, that racism and social trauma have on the mental health of African-Americans, we don't have that privilege. The next chapter of our history deserves our commitment and attention regarding the psychological health and well-being of the black community. So in part two of the Freedom Song, I want to explore the transitional ceremony uh, that's called the Rite of Passage. This ceremony refers to passing from one state of being, whether that be mental, physical, or emotional, to another state of being. And so I want to explore that concept and how that uh, element might fit into our psychological self-care. But before we get into that, I gotta do my two cents. I like to see this segment as my contribution to Black History 365. Uh, in this episode, I'm discussing the importance of exercising our psychological rite of passage. And so the first stage in this journey is separation. And I'm a firm believer in the ideology of separate but equal. Now, before everybody gets all upset about that, um, the separate but equal really its negative connotation is undeserving. So I want to kind of explore that for a minute. This term was used basically uh, as a dress up and or the legal jargon for forced racial segregation. But even though it forced us into segregation, uh, under the guises of separate but equal. It allowed African-Americans the opportunity to be self-sufficient as a community. We had our own, and in many ways, we controlled our own society, our own economy, our own politics, schools, news media, and financial institutes. You know, the phrase separate but equal, yes, it carries the baggage of being perceived as negative. But the thing is, that negative connotation is only held in the consciousness of the African-American experience. All other ethnic groups have literally flourished from this ideology. But for African-Americans, separate but equal is synonymous with racial segregation and inequality. So let me try to, to walk through my line of thinking. First, we have to differentiate the meaning between the words separation and segregation, right? Uh, and I want to go back to the time in which this all started. So according to Webster's 1828 version of the dictionary, separation meant uh, to take two or more classes of things or people and put them in different places. In contrast, Again, from the same dictionary, Webster's 1828 version, segregation meant to take one class or race of people and isolate them from all others as either inferior or superior. 
Now, uh, these meanings were, were established long before racial segregation was instituted. So you can see that even from this version or the definition from Webster, there was the word segregation was never intended to imply anything other than inequality. When segregation failed in 1877, the social and psychological rite of passage for African-Americans ended as well. Once Reconstruction happened, and it lasted for a couple of years or a year, something like that, where African-Americans were trying to gain their sense of self-sufficiency and it was quickly pulled off from under them. And so that process was never completed. And, And once whites regained control of Southern states, they began to oppress African-Americans, not by slavery, but now through Jim Crow laws intentionally designed to segregate, not separate. Enforced by criminal penalties, these laws created separate schools, parks, waiting rooms, and other public accommodations that were far from equal in quality or standards. The second thing we have to do is look at the origin of the separate but equal terminology and where that negative connotation uh, really started to take root. And that all happened in the decision related to Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, which was in 1896. That case introduced what was known as the separate but equal doctrine. So let me just kind of go through that. And if you're not familiar with Plessy versus Ferguson case in 1896, I want to encourage you because I don't have time to go through all of that now. I want to encourage you to kind of Google that and, and get a little background on it. But in a, a seven to one majority opinion, the United States Supreme Court held that Louisiana's separate car act law was constitutional and did not violate Plessy's civil rights. Now, the ruling, which was authored by Justice Harry Billings Brown, stated that even though the 14th Amendment intended to establish absolute equality for the races, separate accommodations did not mean African-Americans were inferior. While the court didn't specifically use the, the phrase separate but equal, the court did note that there was no meaningful difference in equality related to the accommodations between the white and black railway cars. So in other words, even though there were designated seatings um, based on race, the accommodations were the same. That's how the law was written. So the Supreme Court took the law as it was written, the letter of the law. Uh, But you know what? I always tell people there is a huge difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The ruling that was passed down by the Supreme Court was then later named the separate but equal doctrine. Now, according to the United States Supreme Court, the separate but equal doctrine was supposed to mean that there were to be separate but equal public facilities and services for African-Americans and whites. But the court's ruling instead gave constitutional sanctioning to laws that was designed to carry out racial segregation. It, it wasn't until 1950 uh, during a Sweat versus Painter case 
that successfully challenged Texas state constitution laws on the separate but equal doctrine. And it was then that it was established that the separate but equal uh, was really racial segregation dressed up in a costume. Uh, So uh, the letter of the law might have said that you were separate but equal, but the spirit of the law did not act in that way. Later in the podcast, I'm going to share an excerpt uh, from a 1963 speech that Malcolm X gave that uh, at the uh, the Michigan State University, where he gave his views on the differences between separation and segregation. Rumi, a 13th century scholar and mystic, said, "Elevation requires separation, and separation." is the first stage in our psychological rite of passage. And it may or may not involve our physical proximity. When I start separating, that may mean pulling away physically or separating myself physically. But what I'm referring to is on a psychological and internal, that, that mind, that heart, that soul. That's what we're beginning to separate so we can weed out some things. We went through all of the stages in in part one of of the Freedom Song, but just to recap, from the beginning of time, a a very essential part of, of human evolution included transitioning through some form of a ceremonial rite of passage. But according to Arnold Van Gennep's original theory, there are three stages to a ceremonial rite of passage common to all of the cultures that he studied. And those three stages were separation, transition, and aggregation. Again, this journey is less about our physical movement and more specifically about our mental feeling and spiritual state of being. Now, the first stage, as I said, separation marks a mental, emotional, or physical detachment from our familiar roles in life, our comfort zone, our status quo um, state of being. The second stage, transitioning, we no longer relate to the old way of life, we, but we still haven't quite figured out our new identity or state of being. So we're uncomfortable asserting our voice. Um, a lot of my procrastination and sitting down and doing this damn show is because I'm still trying to figure out my voice. So I just say to you guys, just bear with me. The uncertainty is often scary and painful. And trust me, it is. In this transition stage, we vacillate between returning to the familiar hell that we've always known or moving towards an unknown heaven. And that's the choice we have to make. The third stage is aggregation. This presents a final and yet more challenging process because now with a shift in our consciousness, this new sense of self, we are now having to figure out how do I integrate this new self back into my former environment or way of life if I do it all. These stages coincide with the stages spelled out in Joseph Campbell's depiction of the hero's journey. Also in the Christian Bible, when they talk about, you know, shedding the old man and becoming the new, 
as well as in the Course in Miracles. The same uh, process happens when we are going through the stages of separating, transitioning, and then aggregating, uh, integrating back into the the life that, that we are in. Making our rite of passage journey heightens our inner awareness and clarifies our perception, providing us a a clear sense of self-identity and belonging. Rightfully, the ability to fully engage in a psychological rite of passage should have come after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, but that was all shut down by Jim Crow. And so our rite of passage journey has continued to be hindered with the ongoing or unending acts of bigotry and discrimination. We have to also add the crap that we go through daily with our families, within the black community, and then our own self-sabotaging behavior. All of that piles up. Remember I said earlier, we have layers and layers of crap we're trying to dig through And so, shit, no wonder we have lost our spiritual connection to our power source. The inability to adequately engage in a psychological rite of passage to restore our sense of self and identity has has suppressed our progress. Uh, as not just as individuals, uh, but as a community. And it has corrupted our confidence. According to West African shaman and teacher Melodoma Samay, and I paraphrase, uh, he says that when rituals such as the rites of passage journey are absent, young people become restless, disengaged, and even violent. There are no real elders or keeper of wisdom to guide us. The adults are confused, apprehensive, unorganized, and our future seems perilous. So let's circle back to the first stage of our rite of passage, separation. For African Americans, we've been at the separation threshold several times throughout history. But we haven't been able to sufficiently detach from the psychological indoctrination and loyalty we have uh, towards white imperialism. This mental bondage influences and infuses our everyday endeavors and belief system. I I think African-Americans' mental and emotional psyche is a hybrid of our indigenous culture and white imperialist indoctrination. And after centuries of whitewashing our indigenous culture, stripping us of our identity, self-concept, and God-given endowments and attributes, what's left? What's actually left is an inferiority complex that makes us run away from ourselves, our history, our complete history, and our ancestors that struggled through that history, that sacrificed that we would be here today. So yes, throughout history, we've been obstructed by hostility rooted in a white social and economic system, resentful and fearful of African-American self-sufficiency. But we also need to ponder the question uh, individually. Could there be a resistance toward cutting the umbilical cord to a victim mentality and learned helplessness? Have we been victimized by racism and white privilege for so long that we're afraid to sever our mental and emotional romance with mediocrity and lack? These questions apply to our everyday quality of life as individuals as well as a community. But this, th- these two questions actually got me to thinking, 
If the greatest fear of white America is their loss of dominance and privilege, could African Americans' greatest fear be to gain our absolute sovereign power and privilege? If we are ever going to know the power locked in the spirit of our DNA, we have to cut the umbilical cord of the ancient white lie and experience our psychological rebirth. The separation phase of our rite of passage consists of two parts. The first is to withdraw. The second is detachment. In preparation to move from one place or state of consciousness or quality of life to another, people start to withdraw or distance themselves from an agitating situation, person, or belief system. To, to withdraw is a way of taking ourselves out of the equation mentally, emotionally, or even physically. And we take ourselves out of that equation long enough to get a break from the constant influence or energy of a particular situation. Now, consider it this way. Um, think about this, a chalkboard or a whiteboard. This whiteboard, you know, represents our life consciousness, okay? And on this whiteboard, there is all kinds of writing and phrases and definitions and, and, you know, stereotypes and labels. And all of these come from other people for years before we're even able to write one word on that whiteboard of our consciousness. And then by the time we get to write on there with our behaviors and experiences and self-sabotages and poor choices and yada, 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 and all that bullshit, we've got so much shit on the whiteboard that there's absolutely no space for any kind of clarity. Within this space of solitude and seclusion, we have an opportunity to temporarily unburden ourselves. Now, during the process of evaluating in the space of withdrawal, and we're taking ourselves out of the equation um, that is constantly in our ear, agitating or taunting us. We take ourselves out of that environment and we begin to go within and we start evaluating, you know, the purpose of certain certain things on that whiteboard. And it's, it's through this assessment where we might even come to the conclusion that physical uh, and our emotional detachment is necessary for our highest good. Now, the detachment is a form of severing, cutting the um, umbilical cord uh, to a situation, a mentality, or a behavior that no longer supports our highest good. Now, while detachment will, in fact, make space, because again, we start saying, well, we don't need this anymore, we're cutting that off. While it makes space for our individual truth to be manifested, it doesn't always mean a physical departure like deuces, I'm out of here. That's not what it means. It could be you no longer give emotional energy to something or someone that is emotionally draining or toxic. It, it could mean uh, establishing healthy boundaries and letting other people deal with their own shit instead of you engaging in your addiction to chaos. It, it, and that crap is chaotic, but nonetheless, we're addicted to it. Our rite of passage is a very personal and intimate journey involving unique encounters There'll be tests that we'll have to endure. Lessons we'll learn. Triumph we will experience. 
I love how James Baldwin describes uh, our journey. He says that a journey is called a journey because you never really know what you will discover along the way. And you never know what you will do with what you do discover or what it might do to you. You know, don't get this twisted. To genuinely get through our own personal separation phase, it's going to take years. I'm not going to lie. I have been at this for damn near 20 years. Why? I said, damn, why so long? Uh, The key word here is genuinely. I spent a lot of time afraid to let go of my romance with mediocrity. The largest part of the time has been exposing the many facades I created to hide from my fears. Stop pretending that those fears are not there and then learning to speak truth to those fears. It's like the years that I was going to counseling. It took me six months to finally (laughs) tell the truth for that whole six months that I was sitting there lying to myself, you know? Uh, to genuinely get through our own personal separation phase, shit, it depends on how resistant we are um, to our own journey, how much we want to lie to ourselves. But for Black America as a community, well, that depends on how long it takes the many to become one. It's our individual efforts that will bring about the collective change in our community. Ah, that music means it's time for The World According to Penny. Listen, hearing Freedom's song and acknowledging it, that's the easy part. Responding to its summoning is intense, especially when we're unsure and fearful about what the journey may cost us. Because we're always worried about, oh my God, what am I going to have to give up? You know, who am I going to have to give up? Uh, You know, what am I going to have to go without? Or how much, excuse me, how much suffering will I have to endure? Um, And all of it is about fear. It's fear of the unknown, fear of embarrassment or fear of failure, fear of stepping into our divinity, fear of fear. All of it leads to impulsiveness, insecurities, uh, disillusionment, and even greater fear. This has been my experience for most of my life. I mean, just reading over that list is exhausting to me. And now I'm finally willing to consciously leave my imaginary comfort zone to be about what I agreed to, that spiritual agreement. Pulling the trigger on doing this podcast was the first step out of the threshold, the doorway of separation. I mean, seriously, our greatest challenge is going to be the separation phase, pulling ourselves away from our so-called comfort zone. I was watching a program um, that talked about a a New Orleans burial uh, tradition. In New Orleans, it's believed that the spirit of a descendant or a deceased loved one needs to be set free, allowing it to continue its journey and work in the spiritual realm. Now, once this ritual or this burial tradition happens, um, this by going through it, not only does it set the deceased loved one free to continue its work in the spiritual realm, it also uh, gives the living Uh, loved one that is left behind, the freedom to continue fulfilling their own divine assignment 
and work in the physical realm. So in this New Orleans uh, burial uh, tradition, after the deceased and, and the tokens of love that honors that person's life is placed in the burial crypt, uh, the vault is then closed. The person or the loved one that was closest to the deceased makes a quick and sharp vertical gesture with their index finger. And this vertical gesture symbolizes the living severing, cutting away the physical, emotional attachment. I didn't say our spiritual attachments, okay, because they are always going to be there. I'm talking about our physical, emotional attachment. And then after that particular severing is done, then the music and dance breaks out. And the music and dance is the reaffirming of life. That's why the dancing happens. And I bring this up because in many ways, our inherited weaknesses and learned ambitions are so strongly interwoven into our sense of self that severing our romance to mediocrity and victimhood can be like death of some aspects of ourselves. And we have to make that separation in love. And once we do that, then we can move forward. You know, if we we don't do it, we don't let it go. We can continue to perpetuate the pretty lie of blaming the external barriers for all the wrong in our lives or all the wrong in the black community. Or we can face the ugly truth that there are self-imposed barriers of inner conflict and division, first within ourselves and within the black community. These very real self-imposed barriers the residue of mental and emotional enslavements uh, are more damning than any external forces. Only by doing our self-work, healing the ouch within ourselves through truth and self-reconciliation can freedom, holistic freedom, be realized. All right. Earlier, I said that I would share with you an excerpt uh, from Malcolm X's speech that he gave at Michigan State University on January 23rd, 1963. Now, Malcolm's speech to me challenged the status quo beliefs on integration that was held predominantly by uh, most of the, the black leaders of that time. Now, in my opinion, Malcolm was warning not just the black leaders, but the African-American community in general about the psychological damage by placing faith in the promise of trickle-down equality from white America. He pointed out the differences between separation and segregation, and he advocated for a separate but equal ideology as an alternative solution. Malcolm's perspective to me was both prophetic as well as profound. Now, as I read the excerpt uh, of Malcolm's speech, keep in mind the era of the time, the gender, the cultural roles, and the ethnic, religious, and and racial structure of America during that, that particular time. So here we go. The black man that you're not familiar with is the one that we would like to point out now. He is a new type. He is the type that the white man seldom ever comes into contact with. And when you do come into contact with him, you're shocked 
because you don't know this type of black man existed. And immediately you think, well, here's one of those black supremacists or racists or extremists who believe in violence. This new type of black man doesn't want integration. He wants separation, not segregation, separation. To him, segregation means that which is forced upon inferiors by superiors. The segregated community is a Negro community, but the white community, though it's all white, is never called a segregated community. It's a separate community. In the white community, the white man controls his own economy, politics, and everything. That's his community. But at the same time, while the Negro lives in a separate community, this is a segregated community, which means it's regulated from the outside by outsiders. The white man has all of the businesses in the Negro community. He runs the politics of the Negro community. He controls all of the civic organizations in the Negro community. This is a segregated community. We don't go for segregation. We go for separation. Separation is when you have your own. You control your own economy. You control your own politics. You control your own society. You control your own everything. You have yours and you control yours. We have ours and we control ours. They don't call Chinatown in New York City or on the West Coast a segregated community. Yet it's all Chinese and the Chinese control it. Chinese voluntarily live there. They control it. They have their own schools. They control their own politics and their own industries. They don't feel like they're inferior because they have to live to themselves. They choose to live to themselves. They're doing for themselves in their community the same way white Americans do for themselves. This makes them equal because they have control of their own as white America does. But if they don't have what you have, they too would feel the oppression of segregation being regulated from the outside by outsiders. So when we say we're for separation, it should be emphasized. We're not talking about racial segregation. We want the same for ourselves as white America has for themselves. And when we get it, it's then possible to think more intellectually or intelligently and to think in terms that are along the peaceful lines of collaboration. But when a man doesn't have what is his, he can never really think in those terms, end quote. For me, Malcolm's words are not the words of a radical extremist. His words don't suggest, again, to me, a political or racial uprising. Again, for me, this is just the world according to Penny. His words are not to solely advocate for racial or civil rights. But rather, it's a question, what is civil rights without our inherent divine right of power and self-sufficiency for both the mind and the body? I believe Malcolm's words were advocating for our individual and collective rite of passage. His words called upon the African-American community to sever the umbilical cords of mediocrity. Give ourselves permission to elevate from one condition of being and consciousness to our higher condition of being. 
I will say this again. Our most effective efforts and the only true culturally responsive mental health care program we can implement would be to journey through our own individual psychological rite of passage, to start separating ourselves mentally and emotionally from the oppressive lies that causes us to continuously resist and betray our own highest good. Maybe this is really also what the ancestors meant by the Sankofa journey. Only by doing our self-work, healing the ouch within ourselves, and then finding our voice through truth and self-reconciliation can freedom, holistic freedom, be actually realized. Remember, you are never the victim of life. You are always the student of purpose. So what skill or higher consciousness are you learning? What task or message has your life been preparing you for? I truly appreciate you tuning in to another episode of Straight Vibes, No Chasers. And I certainly hope you will keep listening and grow with me in this journey. If you like the show, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Um, if you will, leave me a comment uh, as to maybe a topic you would like to hear me discuss. I, I really appreciate your feedback, okay? That's that's really important. Or if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. But now that I've, I've set the stage, subsequent episodes on Straight Vibes, No Chasers is going to focus on our self-sabotaging behaviors that help perpetuate this status quo existence. I said earlier, too many of us have been at the separation threshold several times in our lives, but we're also very familiar with how our minds will create mutiny against us just when we're about to step outside the door of mediocrity. Our egos become hyperactive and will conjure up all kinds of hostile resistance. So so we just stay stuck. Uh, What we're going to be doing, you know, is to really keep exploring what's blocking our ability to free our minds as well as the power of self-permission. Just I'm looking forward to, to all of those types of discussions. Now, let me leave you with this sincere thought. Freedom's song is not passive and constrained. It's unshackled, passionate determined, agile, responsive, and sure. Freedom reminds me that I have a song to sing that burns from deep within me. Intoxicated by its calling, it entices me. And even though it's just a whisper right now, the song of freedom I sing, I can't resist. I can't stay silent. I must let my voice of freedom sing. So it sings. The healing of my heart and mind is my power. The light of freedom guides me, secures me, and emboldens me. I am determined to know intuitively, to see clearly, to hear fully, to love deeply, create purposely, and live freely. This is my birthright. I am the gift that freedom made real. Again, Thanks for listening, and as always, I leave you with my closing assertion for your life. You are as spirit created you. 
endowed with power and authority to manifest positive outcomes and the divine wisdom to bring about meaningful change. So go ahead, I dare you, give yourself permission to trust, live, create, and speak your life's truth. Ashe. You've been listening to Straight Vibes, No Chasers, with Dr. Penny Murray. Listen and subscribe to our podcast from your mobile device with your favorite podcast app. If you have any questions, topic ideas, comments, or want to invite Dr. Murray to speak at your next event, go to contact us at pennymurray.com. If you're in the North Dallas, Texas area, we invite you to become a member of the Inner Wellness Community by taking part of the African American Council on Fear.